HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We have a heater of a show today as Darren heads over to ComplexCon to talk to Sean Evans and Chris Schoberger, the guys behind the fiery hit series Hot Ones. Darren talks Scoville units, chicken wings, and how Sean handles all the hot questions as heat pours from his face. We're then joined by New York City rocker's native son, who are going to be playing songs off their forthcoming EP, Songs Born from Love and Hate. If you like this episode, please head to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave us a rating, and give us a few stars, maybe five. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. Look for their newest line, Pristine, the only complete line of pet food made with responsibly sourced ingredients. Learn more at HeritageRadioNetwork.org slash pets. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. Snacky tunes. 
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are here back, second year at Complex Con, with Sean Evans, host of Hot Ones, and Chris Schoenberger, editor in chief of First Be Feast, creator of Hot Ones. Chris, welcome back to the show. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, Am I a friend of the show at this point? You are 100% a friend of the show. Uh, I still reference the trip that we take to Montreal uh, on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. If not daily, then like weekly. Um, the I most act- gluttonous trip I've ever been on in my life. Yeah, and I still have to thank uh, you and your brother for getting me a hotel room on Saturday night because I couldn't get myself off the floor and into a cab where yeah, I Yeah, you were in rough shape. It was really bad. Um, <laughs> from eating. Just from, from eating. eating. From eating. Um, so, Sean, uh, Hot Ones is part of the cultural zeitgeist right now. I would say like it's something that pops up. I see it. Conversations you're having getting into the news, things like that. But let's go back to the beginning. And how did you get started as an interviewer? How did you start working on that craft? So uh, even before I started working on the show, I was doing interviews and um, uh, for Complex and a lot of uh, print and on the digital side. And then the way that the video came video thing came along was actually like insane I was in New Orleans just doing interviews with people like 2 Chains and Dwight Howard and a bunch of NBA players at All-Star Weekend just for print and digital things Mm -hmm. and it was right when they were launching the YouTube channel for Complex so they were like hey can we put these things on camera because they just needed something to help it get off the ground that beast of content right something to fill it exactly so I was like yeah that's cool as hell because like in my pathetic life at the time you know I was (laughs) I was working for the uh, tour- this tourism agency in Chicago. I was freelancing on nights and weekends just to keep my eye of the tiger. But I was like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh. So this was like the coolest thing ever was to have like a on-camera interview with Two Chains. But then Complex apparently liked the interviews that I did enough to offer me a full-time job. So I just quit my job in uh, Chicago. I sold all my shit, and then I was in New York about a month later. And God. then. Chris approached me and he was like... Yeah, how did you two meet? Um, 
Well, did it was just very much like a in the halls type of situation, like because you were already uh, doing a first week feast, right? Yeah, and like the idea of video was obviously bubbling up at all media companies, and our company complex was like dipping a toe in, and I was trying to figure out how to get actual audience. Like we were making some cool yeah. food videos, but the type that you've seen on other platforms, and I was like, nothing's breaking through. Like right. we need to do something. So this. Hot Wings idea came about because I loved this show Pop World in England where Alexa Chung um, oh yeah who is going to be on the show soon oh my god it's all coming full circle yeah, it's like really my is. dream guest but anyway <laughs> she did these hilarious subversive celebrity interviews where she was always kind of like being super cheeky and asking ridiculous questions and it, it always stuck with me because I thought that genre was so boring like even growing up like seeing, the interview seeing genre, the pop yeah. stars seeing the rappers that I loved being interviewed was like such a disappointment so it was a space that I was interested in and then I just like my dad would ply me with hot sauce he was always buying the most novelty like slap your mama's ass I mean, like anything he could mail order that world of hot sauce is a funny world yeah and it, it had like a lot of laughs throughout college just to give people these things yeah. so like I knew that was a fun thing um, anyway so it was like if we combine these things, maybe it'll work. Who knows? Who in the building is good at hosting? We, we like went back and found the original email where I pitched this, and I was like, we should do it with Tony Hawk, and uh, I could host it, or maybe Sean Evans, because I just thought <laughs> Sean was good, and like, thank God I didn't host it, first of all, and then thankfully Sean was sort of the only person in the building who raised his hand and was like, I think I could do that. Now, Everyone else was like, no way am I eating this shit. Sean, staring down the barrel of the concept of the show, which for people who don't know is essentially 10 rounds of questions, increasingly ex- exponentially spicier wings with, as the questions get more deep and more in-depth. How did you mentally approach it? Like, why did, did you just like, I need to do this because this is an I opportunity? Just, just the way that it hit my ear, like interview celebrities over violently hot chicken wings, I was like, that's just so fucking funny. You know what um, I mean? Like, yeah. You know, like just the way it hit, it was like instantly just sort of set a spark off in me. So I was like, Chris, let's, let's do this thing, you know? So it just became at that moment kind of we just formed, you know, we just bonded over it. And then the show has been just kind of an evolution from there. But uh, it was just because, and two, what else am I going to do? You know right. what I mean? Like, you're like, okay, cool. Like, here's the thing that, like, can be my thing. Like, we can we can build this. You know, I remember what it was like to be in a, in a cubicle in that tourism agency. Sure. You know, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. So it was like, all right, let's take this. This is my lifeline. Yeah, this is my lifeline. Like, let's just keep next leveling this thing and see where it goes. So you've interviewed, and we're going to get to this, like, so many awesome celebrities. But in the early days, like, the first episode, I mean, it's a crazy concept. Right to pitch out and people have to I mean maybe they didn't know exactly what they were getting into and people probably the machismo is like how spicy can it get exactly so like what were those early days like how did you book your first guest how did you build the show Tony Yeo was just a straight up favor because that's the whole thing you right. can have an idea but that doesn't mean that plane's ever getting off the ground no. you know and we were already had that hurdle of you know people it's hard enough to get somebody to come and do your show or do your thing anyway and then we have this added hurdle of oh by the way we're by the way violently hot chicken wings so Tony Yeo just uh, as the visionary that he is did us a solid and helped us shoot the pilot but early on it was very much you know people walking in and I could kind of tell that like you know even 
you know, Tinashe or like even especially like DJ Khaled, they kind of sit down and they're like, wait, what? Like, wait, what? Yeah, what is like, this? You know, and the show's gotten a lot of like side eye, like to publicists, like throughout it. But um, yeah, because I've definitely seen some episodes <laughs> where the talent is. You can just see the publicist standing off camera, and they're like, "What did you sign me up for?" Exactly. Today? Exactly. Yeah. Less so now, but in the early days, there was a lot of that. Yeah. And also like. Just to give Tony more props, like, yep. Tony Yeo not only agreed to be the guinea pig, but he also sort of workshopped the concept because we kind of had it as this more interrogation yep. thing where Sean was like, you're going to answer my questions while you eat these wings. And Tony said quite rightly, that's bizarre, dude. Like, aren't you going to eat them with me? And like, really the oh, show... Oh, I didn't realize a that. Core, yeah, snapped into focus with Tony Yeo. <laughs> yeah, the because, core element is Sean's ability to go along with them, shared experience, like, that's part of the trustful of Hot Ones. I mean, let's talk about that fact that you're eating sometimes, multiple times a week, right. the hottest hot sauce in the world. <laughs> uh, how do you manage that? Does it even bother you now? Because you know, some of the fear is that you don't know what you're getting into. But you know, especially, like, when you get halfway through a season, how hot it's going to be and what to expect. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely affected, there have been consequences to it for sure, and then sometimes it's like, you know, it is constant. You know, at 11 a.m. on Thursday, we drop an episode like clockwork. You know, yeah. over the last year and a half or so, I think maybe we've missed four or five weeks. Which, if you don't that. do production, is such a feat. That's what people, I think, underestimate, is the degree to which it's a relatively small group of people yeah. lighting their hair on fire and then just putting it out in a garbage can full of <laughs> ice cubes every week. You know, it's such a crazy grind to make sure that 11 a.m. there's this nice finished brick of a video for people to consume. I think that that's one thing that people don't really understand. You know, like behind the scenes, it's much more chaotic. People think it's just like... Well, no, you look at the show and you're like, oh, it's two guys with ten hot wings. Like this. And it's like, no, it's like you're doing research, you're putting together production, you're getting the guests. I mean, how do you guys put together... Like, what's the lead time on a show, and, like, how long does it take to do your research? What's your process there? It can be as quick as a week to turn someone around with a full edit, and, like, it's even been done shorter, um, but it's always this constant chess game of sure. trying to book celebrities for anything and, like, fit them in, and they all have pegs, and they all have, like, times when their episode needs to come out. Um, right. But there are definitely situations where we find out, like... You can get this person, A-list person, tomorrow. Yeah. And then we just if they're like in cycle or something like that, all exactly. night and, and crank it. But yeah, we've done that. We've just had like all night situations. You want to talk about a little bit about like what we do to? Yeah, I mean the research part quickly emerged as, you know, I don't think we knew what the show was going to be right. and that anyone was going to watch it, but we knew that having the questions be really good and having it be the best interview show as opposed mm -hmm. to the best food challenge show, that was going to get boring real quick. Like, right. that's a nice hook to get people in the door, but they're going to stick around and want to come back week after week because you're sort of opening up celebrity in an interesting way. Yeah, of course. Uh, so we've, from the beginning, just done intensive research on mm -hmm. all of the guests and sort of gained this muscle for figuring out how to put a celebrity in the most comfortable spot where they're going to shine. So it's like very much a trusting thing where once they see what these questions are, 
they forget about the freak show element of it. They don't feel like they're, it's a gag and like suddenly we're going to ask them about the charges against them. Yeah, it's like, when did you like punch that dog in the mouth? Controversy. <laughs> it's like, no, I mean, but sometimes, uh, and even this week I would say, you see some people, stuff that you're not prying for, that they bring in on their own that I think the hot sauce releases. Yeah, it's that too. It's it, I think it's twofold. It's the hot sauce, you know, you're just obviously just punching people in the mouth with capsation, you know, like that's yeah. part of it. But then it's also too, I think that they start to realize that this just isn't uh, an everyday interview. And they no. see that we went that extra mile because ultimately when somebody sits in that chair with you, they're under no obligation to give you that great anecdote. They're under no obligation to do any heavy lifting for you. But when they see the work that we've done behind the scenes combined with the hot sauce, then they're like start to fall in. Like in a way he said, we're trying to make it comfortable. It's like the most comfortable, least comfortable interview yeah. ever, you know, yeah. so people like settle yeah. into the show. And so they feel comfortable knowing that we're not trying to put them in a trap. Like we're not trying to twist their words. We're not trying to make headlines with some sort of like controversy or sure. pull quote. It's just very much this long form shared experience. Which you don't, I mean, I guess now with podcasts, you have more opportunity uh, for long-form interviews, but as far as, like, long-form video interviews, there aren't a ton that are really... I can't name any other than this one. Right, I also right. think the wings help you get from zero to 60 a yeah. little faster. Like, the podcast game has become... And this is not like you, because you have nice segments. Like, yeah. two-and-a-half-hour podcast. Uh, I like, know. Okay, maybe they're going to get to some gems at an hour 45, but in today's world, like, who can listen to multiple three-hour podcasts? Well, speaking of which, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to dig in deep to the archives uh, with a live song from Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Doesn't matter how long it takes 
to Snacky Tunes. I am here with Sean and Chris of First We Feast Hot Ones. Um, what I wanted to know is when did you start to feel the shift? Because season one has a very specific type of guest, but then season two is when you actually start seeing like full-on A-list celebrities, like people coming on. So it's obviously something happened around then, but when did you start to notice, even in the first season, that something was catching yeah. fire, pun intended. I think there are some like tentpole guests yep. through the evolution of yeah. the show that we always talk about. So the first one was Machine Gun Kelly. That's like on paper, you're not like, that's the guy who's going to make your show. But the way that that episode was, it almost became like a buddy cop thing. Like as they went through this experience, he was hilarious and we sort of saw the ability to, to for the hot wing thing to level up. Uh, a celebrity who potentially wasn't going to move the needle in the traditional sense. So that was a big one. And then T.J. Miller was a big game changer, yeah. not just in the eyeballs that it brought in, but he was the first like real comedian to be in that seat. And we saw that if a comedian sits there, it's just a, an open forum I for mean, them. The Putting it on a tee. Yeah. The comedian ones are so good. Set up. And then we started booking way more comedians. Um, and then Kevin Hart was like, you got to get that big guest eventually uh, yeah. to knock down that wall where other big names aren't going to be like, this is going to be bad for my image yeah. or what is this? Kevin Hart gave us that cosign. And then I want to add one more to that. I think a big game changer for us, too, was the Key and Peel episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's a huge a great oversight. That was, yeah, that's, that was a enormous huge, for us. Yeah, that was like a huge just blow the doors off, like... That was the first time, because the show wasn't always so popular, you know? Right. Like, I remember we'd wake up, we'd be lucky to have 25,000, 30,000 views on an episode. Like, Chris, we did it. Yeah, we, were like, uh, <laughs> we really the were. The top hyped. of the mountain. Yeah, we yeah. were so hyped about it. But that was like the sort of, you know, like, 
front page everywhere, everyone picks it up, millions and millions of views situation, and that's also, too, what kind of knocked down a lot of walls for us. I mean, I really like your interview style because uh, you could easily just let guests get away with stuff. And, you know, I'm sure people reference the DJ Khaled one as a big moment <laughs> for that. But, like, you know, you're like, you lost. Like, you didn't do it. And he's like, no, I didn't. And you could have easily just been like, all right, moving on. But you're like, no, but you really didn't do it. <laughs> and so I wanted to know, like, why, you know, why dig in your heels when you're already putting them through so much pain? Well, you know what? I'm always like this. Uh, if you play, I'll play. But sure. if you don't play, then I won't play. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. there's part of it where it's like, I understand, you know, where I am on the totem pole in this industry, but then at, like, the same time, like, it's, you know, it's our fucking show. Yeah. You know, like, there's that. So, you, you know, like, so there's that. There's that side of it. But then also, too, I think just, like, Khaled just lends himself to that sort of thing. Right. You know what I mean? And then, too, I, I always think, like, with the internet, sometimes, like, everyone's like, oh, it's so funny. Eh, 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 eh. But then, like, the stuff I always, I'm like, is it that funny? You know, like, D DJ Khaled, like, whatever. Is it? Is it yeah. that funny? Like, is it that, like, ha, 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 the keys, like, that whole thing? Like, is it that way exactly? You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Sometimes to just kind of Pope. be the one person in the media that's just going to, like, poke at it rather than just laugh along with it mindlessly is also kind of important to me. Yeah, and I think you guys have set up a space where it's just like, these are the parameters of the show and we're going to be able to ask questions that Stephen Colbert, which you got to be on, which right. was awesome, but or like, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon won't ask. And too, it's like, you know, there's an audience too. You know, we have to yeah. make this show like for an audience and then the audience is going to have expectations and, you know, a lot of people identify with the show, you know, like they take it like very seriously, they get very nerdy about it. So it's like, you almost have to like kind of, uh, you know, cape for that audience in a way too. You have to represent the people that you're delivering the show to. Yeah, and you also have to, you know, Get a soundbite every once in a while to be like we're in we're in the mix. And to that DJ Khaled episode would suck if I just was like so, you know like yeah. it's that sort of lock horn situation. Right. Right. If you, you want to go, I'll go. But if you want to, right, right. <laughs> exactly. So um, you mentioned this uh, in the first segment um, of now people being like we have a celebrity coming your way, and I've definitely seen it uh, with like the Kyle Delvini episode because she had her movie coming out. Like, are you guys now getting in that circuit of people who? have something to talk about, someone who wants to get out and, like, do something to get to a different type of audience. Well, yeah, I think that the show kind of launched at an interesting time where mm -hmm. the scales and linear TV and digital, mm -hmm. you know, like, maybe linear TV held a little bit more weight than it does now, and Hot Ones has really benefited from that shift, and I think that you know, the celebrities and the teams that are a little more forward thinking that can kind of see around the bend, understand the benefit of doing a show like Hot Ones because it's going to reach an audience. You know, that's one thing. But just on a pure stacking eyeballs situation, you have to eat the wings, obviously. But on a pound for pound level, like we'll give you a, a long form interview with highly targeted eyeballs from a pretty committed and yep. consistent audience. And that's not something you can get everywhere. Like that's not something you can get from an hour of your time on a media day. And we can flip it pretty quick too. So all of those things kind of work in our favor, I think. And how long does it take to do an actual episode? It varies on the guest. You know, we've had people just sit in that chair for two hours before. Because uh, they, they have to get through all the wings. <laughs> yeah. They have to like psych themselves you up. You know, like, well, into like physical 
comedians. Like, Eric Andre, he was there, like, all afternoon. Like, sometimes they stretch. Like, sometimes they really stretch out. And then sometimes, you know, we can be as efficient as a 35-minute interview sometimes. And then, like, I think the goal that we've been trying to build towards is for it to be one of those name-brand interviews, like... You're good. If you do a Mark Marin interview, if you do a Terry Gross interview, if you do a Charlie Rose interview in your career as a celebrity, like you're bringing your A game because you yeah. know that's going to be part of, you know, not like a grand legacy, but people know that the Hot Ones interview means something. The fans yeah. are going to pick it apart, and there's even like this post episode. Whole have you guys made dissection it, like the whole like, like Reddit subreddit? The Reddits are insane, and then there's a super fan called Brett Baker who does oh, yeah. power rankings, and even he is interacting on Twitter with the celebrities who have been on the show who are lobbying Was to that be the higher that on the fans. Russell ranking. Brand did his song, song for, for yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So I mean, that's just amazing. the fact that the you know a Russell Brand or like a Jay Farrow or all of these people are they want to be at the top of the fan rankings of this show is sort of different than, like, I'm just doing an appearance on a show as part of my press circuit. Into it's crazy because, like, I've seen Seth Rogen and Dak Shepard and Nick Kroll talking about Hot Ones over Twitter in a way that was just, or you know, they just start talking yeah. about it and they just start interacting. I don't see that with other shows. You know, there's just something special no, about it. Unless they're like, hey, I'm on Fallon tonight. Exactly. It's right. like, cool. <laughs> um, so I want to get into the actual hot sauces because they've they've uh, changed over time, um, but I want to get into how you pick them. Um, obviously, you know, with your entry level ones or ones that everyone sort of knows, the srirachas or the tapatillos or things like that. But as you get up, and there's literally a million hot sauces, like you know, how do you pick the ones that make it onto the show? How do you curate it? What's your process? This is Schoenberger's wheelhouse. <laughs> the first season he obsesses. was... Yeah, I do obsess. I've like lost how many sleep bo- How many I bottles of hot sauce do you have at the office season. right now? Like 400. Oh, my God. And, like, I'll, like, have a week of sleepless nights before we put out a new season with new sauces because I'm so scared that it's just, like, not going to hit right and it's not going to get the right reactions and I didn't pick the right ones. Um, but the first season, I would say, was just... Kind of knowing about these novelty hot sauces right. from, thanks dad, thanks right. dad, yeah, <laughs> thanks for blessing me with that pivotal childhood experience, <laughs> um, and basically just like how do you ratchet it up up until these kind of super amusing novelty ones? Then we started learning about hot sauce and the hot sauce community, and that's kind of how we got into making our own uh, with Noah Chamberg at Heatnist in Williamsburg. So it's like a hot sauce boutique akin to a oh, sneaker yeah. boutique. Um, with That's bonkers. Lots of exclusive sauces, and it, even the way it's displayed is beautiful. And I was just like, this is cool. Like, we should really be using this platform to support small hot sauce makers. Like, you know, I'm super into craft beer. No, no, I it's know so you It's so analogous are. to that. So uh, we started working with him to curate it and then having him link us with these incredible makers so that if we put something out, it wasn't like, let's slap hot ones on some Tabasco knockoff and, and try to shill it to yeah. people. Let's like make an incredibly high-quality, interesting product so that we're respected in the hot sauce space, which is this like crazy community I mean, you're that part I of Complex Con. You're part of this whole world. You have to put out a good product. You know, you can't just make... People are going to call you out if it's bad. Yeah. 
Even but if it's good. Even if it's good, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's, we don't have enough time to talk about that. But how do you, I guess my question is, so when you get to like the, uh, the, the hottest of the hot, the last one, like the mega death toss, like the, that stuff, are those good? Because That's I, what's interesting about the last dab. Yeah. Like why, like this has Which been a really here, interesting And I will sauce. try, even yeah, though you I. you gotta try it. Yeah. I'm just gonna pour a little, but you can keep talking. So all of the super hot sauces on the market Oop. are are made with extracts. It's not just an all natural <laughs> ingredient situation. <laughs> so fucking hot. Which is why most of the time you taste any of those, including some that we have on the oh show, like the bomb and Blair's Magic yeah. Death. Alright, here you go. Face is getting red. Yeah, yeah it's um, hot. The immediate reaction is usually like, you know, this tastes artificial. This tastes synthetic. This is like ripping my tongue apart. This is not good. It's just funny, and it's oh, a but that's goof. actually good. And yeah, I get it because that's see, that's always been my problem with hot sauce, where it's like it's it's vinegar and then it's heat, and you're like, this is just garbage. This is actually yeah. So to make a I'm down with that a sauce in the super hot category without doing that. The, the core ingredient just has to be that hot. So the pepper has to be that hot. So we teamed up with this nutcase named Smokin' Ed Curry from Pucker Butt Pepper Company. Sure. And he's basically like so the Michael Jordan of chilies. And he had the Carolina Reaper, which Sean has eaten twice, which was the Guinness World Record holder. I mean... And then whenever anyone else breaks the Guinness record or tries to break the Guinness Sean, record... Sean, step up to the plate. Well, Smokin' well, Ed comes out of nowhere and dunks on them because he's got like... Stuff he's been crossbreeding. Is, is he the guy that, that had the New Yorker article on, where they talk the Carolina Reaper and the guy about the whole idea to? I think he was in a breed the hottest pepper yeah, so of all he, time. It's all yeah. this crossbreeding stuff. Yeah. Great, uh, great read. They got to catch up read. on the smoking edge. So <laughs> the one that's in last tab is, is unnamed as of yet, but it's called Pepper X for now, and the maybe it's we, currently maybe we call the hot one. Currently maybe. with the Guinness fingers, committee. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so we're you know. I think it might be the hottest pepper in the world. It's, we're still waiting on the word of that. But what's cool about it is that all of the heat is from the pepper. So then no, it's great. there's flavor as well. Because there's flavor, and then it's, I mean, it's still beating me up in the mouth. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, coating my mouth. And it's got, like, in the mustard ways, like, the oils and are, yeah. turmeric and ginger. So it's it's a more oh my God. culinary thing than... And you guys made this, and you put it out, and you sold... How many bottles and how many? I don't want to, I have the numbers here, but just, I want you to say it because it's so impressive. We sold our first, what do we sell, 1,100 bottles in 90 seconds or like two minutes yeah. on the launch. And so we just, you know, basically we, it's just, just amusing because it kind of sounds like a supreme drop or something, <laughs> yeah. but it no, was, but, but yeah, yeah, it was this sauce, cool hot sauce, hot sauce with, a, with a pepper that's not on the market from a uh, freak show. Yeah, but here's in, the thing. Uh, if you went South to, Carolina, if you went to like... One of the San Pellegrino top places, right? And they're right. like, we make a hot sauce, or we make anything with an ingredient that's not named, that you cannot get anywhere else, and we made it artisanal, we made it refined, and we put it into like a sauce. People would be like, you know, all the a- accolades, all the words we written, be like, go to this place, it's in South Carolina, you know, like da 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 da. But you guys put it in a bottle and send it out to the public, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not just saying this, you know, I, I, I almost don't even want to because it sounds corny like I'm shilling for like the sauce or whatever but it is just special like if you understand hot sauce if you understand this pepper growing community if you understand hot ones the way that this all snaps into this bottle it's just like it just is different and yeah. the, like the basic human impulse that underlines the whole show is I want to know how hot that is 
I want to know what I would, I mean, how I would handle that. So it's cool to be able to share it with the fans. Yeah, and as you guys wrap up the fourth season, um, how many people don't finish? I feel like everyone sort of goes the distance it's now. It's tough now to walk in and not finish uh, just in terms of the heat that you're going to get. Yeah. So you have to be someone like... It's always the older celebrities who are like, I don't need this shit. Like, Ricky Gervais at a certain point was like, I don't need to do this. Yeah. But he Rob did it Gordy. in such a funny way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's like, you guys are and crazy. It's like, he's, they're completely correct. Like, what do you have to prove by eating <laughs> the bomb or Megadeth sauce? And then, too, I think now, like, people walk in. Now that the show's a little bit more established, like, a little bit more of a thing, like, people walk in, like, ready to do it. It's like yeah. game day. You know what I mean? Like, people talk to me. We always have, like, a little chat before. And, you know, people are like, I've, I've been watching. I watched the episodes. Da, da, da. I ended up down the, down the wormhole. Like, yeah. I'm here to bring it. You know, like, maybe they're a little bit nervous or whatever, but they really think, like, they're there to perform, so they don't want to back down. They understand the consequences. Yeah. Um, so... What's next? Who the dream guest? Season five, I'm sure, is your, the wheels are turning. Hot sauces you have in mind, guests you have in mind, who would be perfect? I mean, Alexa Chung is coming up this month. That's huge. And yeah. I, feel, I feel dream like, guest you know, for me, and I don't, I don't know that the uh, you know fan base of the show probably would put them her in their grail category, <laughs> but you know that's our sell to them, like how much she influenced the show. Yeah. And then there's just these names that. We Always can't escape up. that the fans want so badly, so Joe obviously we go after them all the time. Yeah, people are always like, Joe Rogan, Bill Burr, Gordon Ramsay, on the street, the in Rock. my Twitter, The Rock. You know, it's just like, yeah. it's so whatever, it's like so suffocating. Ooh, the Rock so would I be just good. Always hear that. I'm like a, basically a wedding DJ where yeah. everyone just barks requests at me around the clock hey. 24-7. So I'm just trying to check some of these boxes off the, I'm just trying to cross some of these names off the list. And then I'm so always excited shut about the fuck up. Hitting new genres, so it's like first we had rappers, then we had comedians. You know, we did Gary Vee. That's kind of like a tech world motivational yeah. speaker person. We had Neil deGrasse. Yeah. Oh yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson, like public intellectual, and you know, really want a politician. We want to like hit these different worlds Listen, and see I what happens. I'm pretty sure that Hillary Clinton is got some free time right now. She <laughs> and could she be. says she likes hot sauce. So awesome. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. Thanks, dude. It's uh, always fun. Yeah, thank where, you very much. Where can people watch the show? Get the hot sauce. So if you want the hot sauce, you can go to heatness.com. And then if you want to watch the show, it's on First We Feast's YouTube channel. Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, My mouth is still on fire, but I figure... (laughs) Brave move going with the last dab in the middle of a podcast. I respect it. You know, I thought... Yeah, you didn't wait till the end. (laughs) I thought I'd wait till after, but it's the same thing. I was like, I I sort of signed up for it. You know what? You guys were kind... I'll put this way. You guys were kind enough not to make me do all 10 levels and I was like I'll go in for them out of respect for the show but sometimes it's harder to dive right in the deep end like Eddie Wong (laughs) flamed out alright well here's another song from the archives and then we got a live performance coming up on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Castor and Pollux, maker of America's number one organic pet food, Organics. You put a lot of care and thought into what you eat. After all, you're a food radio listener. That thoughtfulness goes hand in paw with how you feed your pets. Purposeful pet food doesn't happen by accident. Castor and Pollux scours the earth to carefully select the best organic and responsibly sourced ingredients. New Pristine from Castor and Pollux is the only complete line of pet food made with ingredients that are responsibly raised, caught, or grown. Feed your dog or cat the new standard, like grass-fed beef, wild-caught fish, and vegetables grown without synthetic fertilizers or chemical pesticides. Pristine from Castor and Pollux. Purposeful pet food. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org slash pets. Welcome back. We got Native Sun live here in studio on Snacky Tunes. You guys want to go around and introduce yourselves? How's it going? My name is Danny Gomez, and I play guitar and sing in Native Sun. What's up? I'm Jake. I play guitar. I'm Alexis. I play drums. I'm Mauricio. I play bass. Danny, you met Jake in Florida, right? Yeah, we've probably known each other since we were about, I want to say, like 10 or 9. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you start playing music then, or were you just kind of admirers? Yeah, no, we, we, yeah, we, we didn't really, I wasn't even playing guitar back then. Um, I, just, play, I played guitar back then, but he's, not, he's, not with He's Danny. the prodigy with that, yeah. <laughs> I've played guitar for, ever since about that time is when it started. Really? What were some of your early tunes? What were some of the bands you played or covered first? Or all original, prodigy, just music came out of you like a water no out of a way. well? I think like one of the first band, oh, the first band ever like made me want to play guitar was Green Day. And then I went straight into Van Halen. Just so we have a reference point, which Green Day record? I nah. mean, so American Idiot came out at that time. Okay. And then I went straight back to Dookie and Insomniac. I okay, like, fair enough. The, the yeah. three chord records. I mean, I learned power chords from that band. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I saw them play over the summer and they're like, for you old school fans. It was Dookie. I was like, I remember when Old School was their EPs and not not Dookie, so just getting a solid reference point. Oh, man. So you guys met in Florida and then you reconnected in New York? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, how did you... Was it a bar, a venue? Was it a, you um, know, on actually, the train? I, th- I think it was my birthday, to be honest with you. Um, we, yeah, we, we actually went out to Max Fish that night with some friends. Um, a mutual friend of, yeah. uh, of ours who, I mean, I didn't even... I hadn't spoken to Danny ever since middle school. I didn't know mm-hmm. he was out here or anything like that. I think Jake um, had seen me play live a couple of times, maybe. Yeah, 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 I did I did see Acid Dad. Um, this same mutual friend had brought me. I was like, oh, you know, we got a bunch of friends from Florida that are uh, that are all hanging out. Come chill. And like, so I went and saw his old band and then same sort of situation. He was like, oh, it's our, one of our friends from Florida's birthday. Like, you should come hang out with everybody. Remember everybody from middle school? It was me. <laughs> so it turned out it was, uh, it was old D. Gomez. When did you start percolating ideas to have a band? And as a dad, former Snacky Tunes guest, good to see you again, as yeah. always. When did you start to put together the ideas for Native Sun? Uh, probably, I want to say, last uh, November, December. You know, I had a, you know, a lot of songs that I wanted you know, to play. Um, so we kind of started, I started demoing that and working on that. And that's you know, around the time I, you know, I sent them to Jake, because you know, he'd always been the best guitarist I knew growing up. And I was like... You know, we seem to be into the same stuff, so it's we grew up together. I feel like we know who we are as individuals. This seems like the right combo. So then we started kind of recording, and then 
he, I used to live, you know, we're college best friends and we used to live together and he didn't know how to play drums and I would force him. So I Who are you pointing to? I'm pointing to Alexis over there, <laughs> the beautiful he. Um, so I would force him to play drums and he like naturally always picked it up. And then, you know, it seemed natural and we were like, you know what? You're going to play drums either like it or not. Yeah, this did, did you feel that it was natural picking up drums? You're in a very safe space here. Did they force you? Did they coerce you? No, no, it was cool. Because um, when we lived together, he would always be writing songs. And there was a drum set at my house that we were storing for a friend. And he's like, just hop on there. And then I would do it. And we kind of stopped doing that. And then when he started writing his own stuff for Native Son, he asked me to do it again. And it just kind of happened. It just kind of forced me to do it. Do you feel like you're still learning, like, oh, yeah. rudimentary drum oh, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Know, what's a rudiment? I don't even know what that is. He knows how to play it again. And then he moves from Mexico, from Who Monterey, pointing to? to Mo. I'm pointing to Mo, last member. Yeah. Mo El Papi Martinez. He moved here about a year and a half ago um, to try to do music, you know, try to do the hustle. And we, um, you know, through a mutual friend also kind of connected us. And here we are, as he says. Yeah, I came here just to do music. I finished college and came here. And you it's been like it almost, all, you know? almost yeah. a year without yeah. a band, just like trying to... I, I mean, I jam with people, but it never worked out. Right. Like completely. And because of a friend of us, I just texted Gomez like, hey, let's play. And he was like, yeah, I, uh, we, I know you're a guitar player, but we need a bass. <laughs> and I'm like, no worries, see you in two days. <laughs> yeah. I went to buy a bass next day, and I didn't eat for a week, but... I had a band. <laughs> what was the the year that you were here without a band? Like, where were you playing? What were you doing? I was. I, I didn't play actually live. Never. I I'm still doing this EP by myself, acoustic, but I'm working on it, and just on and off all the time. But I I'm, I was just seeing bands and meeting people, and like it's kind of hard, you know. I didn't knew almost anyone, just like almost be by myself and. Yeah. What was it about New York that, that drew you here? Why here, almost any other city? Or what was missing in Monterey that, that you thought was in New York? I mean, Mexico is, like, so different. The scene and the, the music culture is, like, totally a different world. So I had, I had lots of bands in, back in Mexico, but it never really, like, worked out completely. And I was, I don't know, the Ramones. I'm from New York, so, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I came because of Lou Reed. Like, I mean, those are both excellent answers. Exactly. And for the music that you were writing for this, what made it different than Acid Dad? Or what did you think that you could accomplish with Native Son that you weren't doing with Acid Dad? Um, you know, I think this was all me and my vision and direction. Um, I think um, there's just, you know, certain sincerity. It's kind of the music I'm working on now that, um, you know, fits more who I am and kind of more the vision I have for music and kind of the world freedom when did you feel the four of you gelled as a band first practice the first practice (laughs) it was actually 420 first First practice was 420 420 and i met these guys the first practice like i didn't even knew them personally i remember i said hit this man or you're out (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna go back to another year in the wild (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna regret buying that bass (laughs) i remember walking up to the practice space and just i I thought it was you i recognized you from your mustache oh yeah (laughs) i was like are you are you mauricio he goes oh yes so From what, there on. what was what was the feeling? Or I mean, you all answered at the same time. What what was it about that practice where you looked at each other that you didn't experience and with other bands or projects? I mean, I just saw like like real people trying to do like real music, you know, like not trying too hard. It's interesting. I feel like we like, it's the first time where we've actually like 
think as one mind and where I'm going to go next, even someone like Alexis knows where that's going to be. You know what I mean? And it's, as you said, he's still learning and he's got the vision that where my brain would jump to next, the same way Jake does, knows how to put the sprinkles on what's missing. You know, the same way that Mo brings his, his, his swagger and, and dance moves to the floor. For me, it's, it, was, it was really simply obvious when we all played together. I mean, I grew up when I was first playing guitar, like we were just talking earlier. I played guitar and my little brother played drums. So growing up playing music, it was just me and my brother. Then like when I sort of grew up, went to high school, I started playing with friends and there was friendship in those bands. But that was, that was unique from playing with someone who is like family, like a brother. On that first practice with the four of us, that was the first and only time that I felt brotherhood. Mm. other than playing with my true brother. Do you think it's because you grew up listening to the same bands, you have the same reference points, or where do you think that it comes from? And you don't, and there's no way to define it down to a science because that's <laughs> yeah, impossible, yeah. but where do you think it might lead from? I think that's the best part about it. It's kind of spiritual. Yeah. Well, with that, let's hear a song. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to play for us first? This is the first song we ever put out. It's called Palindrome. It's about uh, anxiety and paranoia in the city.
Palindrome was on the Glass Note Records Noteworthy One comp. We also had Grim Streaker and Thick in here earlier. Oh, sweet. How did nice. that come about? How did you get on the comp? What's the story? Um, so, so we we played uh, Northside Fest. I think it was like our actual first real show um, at our Wicked Lady, and one of the A and R people for Glass Note was at the show, and um, she heard us play this song actually, um, which we hadn't recorded for the EP at the moment. So she was like. You guys should record that song, and we'd love to have you on the, you know. So we rushed in in a week and about, and did two songs off the EP in that week just to kind of capitalize on things. And, uh, yeah, those yeah. were the, you know, that got put out right away, like, a few weeks after that. We played the show, and I yeah. think the song, like, the songs were due for the Noteworthy Project, like, a week and a half later. I think they listened to an were... iPhone demo of ours from our practice space in, like, the Glassman office, and we're like, all right, yeah, they recorded for real. Yeah. We'll get them on. <laughs> And did you have to go? Did they record it for you? Did you have to go? You're like, yeah, we'll be back in a Yeah, we're just finishing it up. And you're like, we need to find a studio. They should have. Yeah. <laughs> they should have, but they did not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we just went back to the studio we were recording our EP at and just said, we need to do another song in two days. And we did it in two days. Great. Can we hear another song? Yeah, sure. What are you going to play for us? Uh, this next song is called Sister. Here we go. Live on Snacky Tunes. Uh, I'd like to dedicate this song to Don Pedros. This song is about, uh, you know, some of the, the crazy individuals that used to inhabit that bar. Around the corner That's where I'll be Trying to find what I don't need The girls are strutting On down the street Heaven was calling But they found me, yeah She'll be your sister
17th, which as of this time was two days ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Songs Born from Love and Hate. Where'd the title come from? Uh, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> uh, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so tell me about it. How was the recording process? Where did the genesis from the songs come from? What were you trying to tell with this EP? Well, you want to start with this one? Yeah, I mean, the songs came together over a span of time, and I think they, they, were, they were born and then evolved as our friendship and soon-to-be brotherhood evolved. Um, from there, I mean, to go what I've heard Danny say before and what I feel Danny say in the songs, these, uh, this collection of songs is for uh, the, the listener and for the, for the musician that doesn't have a voice that is heard in music today, especially bands coming out of New York City, bands coming out of Brooklyn. This isn't uh, for indie privileged white kids telling the story of oh man i didn't feel like getting out of bed today so i made a painting this is a this is about the struggle of the common individual all of these songs you know it's uh you know the things have gotten pretty bland so you know i think you know this is just an introduction of all the worlds we could go into but i think you know making a, a mission statement of you know trying to kind of bring you know, rock and roll in a sense to back to the people, you know, the proletariat, trying to bring it back to a certain, you know, kind of humbleness, but at the same time, sincerity, you know, which I, I think has kind of been missing for a bit, especially in a place like New York. It's just, you know, so many bands just that, you know, you wonder, is really the music the first thing on the list or is it like, as Jake says, number five? <laughs> yeah. So you, th oh, so you're calling out to question that if music really is the reason why they get out of bed in the morning, if art is really the reason they yeah, get out I of mean, bed, as opposed to other things, and then you're like, uh, and yeah, uh, I'm an artist too. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, you know, as we said it, you know, he, you know, we're all clear examples of that. But you know, it's it's really, you know, do or die kind of thing. You know, he could be, you know, in Mexico having, you know, kind of, you know, more comfortable, you know, lifestyle, but risks it all and you know, washes tables to be able to try to, you know, fight for his dream, which is something that. You know, some of our families, you know, as I'm a first generation immigrant, you know, Alexis is second generation, you know, Jake's from Florida, where it's like, you know, you live with that every day. percent Cuban. You know, it's, yeah, I'm an you know, Cuban. I'm an eighth Cuban. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you true. know, so we're really, you know, doing something for the, you know, for the first time. And I think that's what gives us kind of the fresh look. It's not, you know, it's, it's a sort of, you know, by, by exploring new things that have never been done before in your family and your lineage, I think it opens up kind of a different world where it's not the same recycled garbage. You know, it's a, you know, fresh outlook on things. And you wrote the songs, but, and you mentioned that they evolved as your brotherhood deepened. How did they evolve both from the concept and the music to, you know, what parts did the rest of you bring to the, 
the songs that where they ended up. Uh, well, you know, Danny brings to the table so much. He brings what I what I always see to be the skeleton, the framework, the general vibe, the mood, the attitude of the song, and then we color it in with our individual flavor. Mo brings, I mean, literally a flavor to every single song that I could never do myself. I add my personal influence, whether, like, let's, Danny's right, sister is about Don Pedro and his experiences at that bar. I brought what I was feeling from the mood of that song, sort of angst and frustration at the loss of an establishment that meant so much to me. Not, wasn't necessarily, my influence on that wasn't necessarily Don Pedro specifically, but that same attitude and mood and feeling and emotion that I had when we were writing and recording that song is present in the song. And the same, yeah. the same goes for Alexis and, and Mo. Yeah, like Alexis is, for example, you know, I always make fun of him and, you know, <laughs> I say, I say, you know, he does, my favorite drummer, for example, is like Charlie Watts from the Stones. He knows it's nothing complicated. It's just tasteful when you have to be. And Alexis, you know, by, you know, recently getting into things, he, he doesn't overdo things, but instead keeps the beat and keeps it, you know, keeps the groove going and then does the tasteful, you know, simple things when they got to be done. So, you know, all those parts combined, you know, seem to have worked out. And you guys have been playing around City just a little bit, babies. Yeah, about, I would say, Rough since, trade. since June. <laughs> since June. Uh, where you guys uh, have shows coming up next? Uh, we've got one show left for the end of the year. So we played on Thursday uh, with Dreamwife um, who are coming over from the UK and then we were playing in um, on December 10th with this band called QTY at Babies Alright as well. Love it. Love Babies. Yeah. Love those guys. Yeah. Good guys. Good guys. But, uh, but yeah, no, we're, uh, we're starting to get you know some busy stuff going on for early next year. Anything you can share or just leave it to mystery? Leave it, I'll leave it to the New Year mystery. Okay. <laughs> well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song but where can people find you, get the EP, hit you up? everywhere that you can get music it is up now and you know to leave you with a little less mystery where you know our ep came out on friday and we started recording the next one on saturday yesterday so perfect you know perfect shout out to the label paper cup yeah shout out to paper cup windia records a label in south america magnus magnus eric and actually you know on that note we're gonna leave you with a song that you know we have been working on yeah well great well thanks for tuning in big shout out to the hot ones and complex con thanks for uh joining us we're gonna be off next week for thanksgiving and then we'll be back with two more episodes before the end of this season season nine of snacky tunes wow i know that's what i said thanks congrats to you thanks um what what's the name of the song you're gonna take us out with uh this song is called 11th street awesome well thanks for listening we're off next week and we'll see you in a couple weeks Take it from me.
listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.